millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk TV. It is the home of common sense. It is the one place to be at 10 o'clock every day from Monday to Friday, uh, following from Julie Hartley Brewer and an amazing show that she put on for us today, uh, starting off with, of course, the day after uh, the night before. We will have spent basically 12 days of mourning, uh, making sure that the country had a kind of calm blanket placed over it, making sure that everybody was able to see something of the Queen's funeral, that people were able to go and pay tribute to the Queen lying in state in Westminster Hall, talking endlessly about the royal family, talking forever um, about what it means for the country. Today we're going to take a little slightly different route around that particular subject because we're going to kick off with Frank Ferrady, who's a writer, professor, sociologist of course. I'm going to be asking him, where do we go now? Because yesterday uh, when I was on Vanessa Feltz's show, we talked a little bit about why This was needed in this country. We needed to kind of put arms around each other. We needed to stand collectively and grieve. We needed to somehow come to terms with the fact that the woman uh, who has been such a steadfast um, uh, kind of influence on the country for the past 70 years is no longer going to be there, that we now replace her with somebody slightly more tetchy, somebody slightly more authoritarian, perhaps somebody slightly less able and nimble with other people. Somebody who has so far surprised us, but who might surprise us even more in the, in the future with slightly less pleasant remuneration. But shall we say this? Here we are. It's 2022. Uh, we're coming towards the end of September. It's the 20th of September today. And you wonder, do you not, what the future will hold? Because we've still got problems that we need to solve. We've still got issues that have yet to be sorted out. Liz Truss, the Prime Minister, has gone to New York to talk to the United Nations. I'm not sure why. She might talk to Joe Biden. I'm also not sure why. She should really be here. She should be talking here about what she's going to do to help people to get through the winter. We know that there's some money on the way in October. What we don't know is exactly how they're going to deal with businesses that might be faltering, how they're going to deal with inflation, how they're going to deal uh, with some of the other rather pockets shall we say, of mistrust and unhappiness. We're going to talk about Leicester, a place which seems to be at the moment absolutely aflame 
because people from two rival religions seem to be having fights with each other on a nightly basis and have been for the last couple of weeks. It's all a bit weird. Hindus versus Muslims in Leicester. Seems a bit strange. We'll find out what that's all about. We'll also, of course, talk about King Charles III uh, and what he's going to do. They're in a period of mourning now for a while. We'll get to that. We'll also talk as well about the railways because, of course, yesterday lots of people wanted to go to Windsor. And where did you go to Windsor from? Paddington Station. Paddington, of course, a big figure uh, because of the Queen's little video at Christmas and the marmalade sandwiches. Well, unfortunately for Paddington Bear, if he had come in from uh, Peru into Heathrow, he wouldn't have been able to get on the Heathrow Express into Paddington. Why? Because there were no trains. Why? Because there were no overhead wires. Why? Because we've been racing to net zero so fast that we've done away with diesel trains. But guess what? The only trains that actually ran were diesel trains. That's right. Anyway, uh, we will continue as we started. We mean to go on. Uh, we mean to go on with you as well. We want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000. Are we actually genuinely in a new era? Can we be better? Talk to me. This is Talk TV. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is the home of common sense. It is the one place where you find the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You might have noticed I'm not wearing a black tie. I'm not wearing a black jacket. I finally able to put it in the cleaners. So we move on out of mourning and now into something else. But what is that something else? Let's talk to Frank Ferradi, uh, sociologist, professor, uh, good friend of uh, Talk TV. Frank, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. So the eternal question, I suppose, uh, for guys like yourself, sociologists, people who study the way we are, um, where do we go from here would be the first question, I guess. Well, you know, the uh, interesting thing that has occurred over the last uh, 10 days, 10, 11 days, is that for the first time, a lot of people began to have a sense of belonging to a community, of, of belonging to a nation. A lot of people felt reassured that actually uh, they are British and being British is not something that you should be ashamed of. Mm. And there was a lot of sense of uh, identification. I mean, if you watch the queues and you talk to people in the queues, it was almost like it was an experiment in creating a new community, somehow coming together. Uh, without anybody pressurizing you, without anybody forcing you to do that. And I think what it really demonstrated is that there is, within our society, a real desire to somehow uh, find some kind of greater meaning in our lives than we've been allowed to in recent weeks and years, recent years. And that, to me, was a really positive development. So when I look at the future, the question that I want to sort of uh, struggle with and, and be, find a solution to is to what extent can we retain that sensibility that we saw, to what extent it is possible uh, for, for, the, for people in this country to maintain an element of continuity with what has gone on in the past, mm. or is it simply the case that this was a one-off episode and now we're back to this murky world of confusion? Uh, the answer, I suppose, is is really in our hands. It depends upon us to what extent we kind of commit, we try to uh, sort of build a different world. Because you have to remember that while people were queuing up and paying their respect, there were people riding in Leicester. So you had these two uh, sort of uh, dramas running side by side. This unity 
profound sense of disunity within the nation on the one hand, whilst at the same time a real yearning to be together, to be at one with each other. And it seems to me that our politicians and our public figures have got to find a way of creating a, a stronger sense of common purpose and common ground than is the case at the moment. And it, to some extent, our politics has got to un, uh, address this need on the part of people, not just for uh, more money, more money in their pockets, but also some kind of uh, moral, a, a moral purpose, uh, a moral sensibility, which we all need if we're going to have the confidence that can deal with the big problems that lie ahead. Yeah. And how much of what happened over the last 10 to 12 days, Frank, do you think was the product of what had happened before in the previous two years, where people were kind of slightly lost? They'd become perhaps more dependent on the state than they wanted to be, but they couldn't really do much about that. They were looking to the state for kind of instruction on many things, which previously they wouldn't have asked for. I wonder whether they kind of needed something to all cling on to and almost end that period, which is why when I say, are we actually genuinely entering a new era? Maybe we are. Well, you know, uh, it's not just the last two years. I think it's a bit longer than that. A lot of people have felt silenced and felt that they couldn't really express what's inside of them. Mm. People were struggling to say that, and they felt that if they opened their mouth and really tried to indicate who they were, they would be slapped down or people would be making fun of them. Uh, people would kind of call them old-fashioned traditionalists. How can you take these kinds of institutions, these symbols, these religious rites seriously? And all of a sudden, they were given permission uh, to be who they felt they were and, and to express that in a, in a kind of confident kind of a way. And I think that was really quite important, mm. particularly after the pandemic experience when they were really closed off and isolated and fragmented. So to me, this was like, uh, very much about community creation, community continue, continuity, than just simply about a funeral of a great monarch. Yes, I think so. But it also centred us as well, I think, perhaps, even those people who are still knocking around saying we want uh, republicanism, we don't want a queen, we don't want to have a monarch, and we don't have to have a head of state that's unelected. I think an awful lot of people, a little bit like the church sometimes is a is a, a kind of, a, 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 I don't know, some kind of truth to people who are not particularly religious, they can hold on to it and go, well, it's a steadying force. I think the monarchy and, and certainly the last 10 days have been a steadying force, even for people who don't really believe in it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people don't believe in, uh, in the royal family or monarchy. They can see that perhaps uh, uh, a, a lot of money is being spent in on unnecessary rituals. Some of the individuals in the royal family are not exactly role models for, for anybody. But nevertheless, what they, what they then see is that uh, there's a kind of uh, continuity with the past that people need. They need a, a kind of memory about what they really are about. Mm. Suddenly, uh, in a kind of a, a moment, you know, sort of like in a flash, they, there's a kind of realization that there is something more to their lives than just their day-to-day -day existence something more that gives them a kind of uh, strength, an unexpected strength to face their everyday predicament. And I think that that's really what came out very, very strongly for literally millions of people. Mm. So as people go back to work today, because plenty of people uh, didn't work yesterday and probably for the previous few days before that, um, what's different? Is it what we make it or is it what is there? 
I think the first reaction will be it is that it feels very different. Somehow today feels very different to yesterday. It isn't yeah. just simply the fact that we had a long weekend, but the fact that something that was there in the air has just gone. You know, it's no longer there. So you feel very, very different. And then I think, you know, some of us will be saying, well, yes, it's it's not like it was, but what what can we do? What can we actually achieve uh, or, and, 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 and construct that will make our lives uh, a, a much more sort of uh, kind of community oriented mm. oriented one? Can we build some kind of a bridge between what has occurred and our lives in the future? And I think that that is a, a challenge that you have, I have, a lot of us have, because if we can somehow remind ourselves not to lose the memory of the last 10 days, but to let it inspire us in the days ahead, you know, some po- very positive things can, can be created. But if on the other hand, we go to sleep and pretend that this was just a television show and nothing more, then of course life will go on as before. Mm. So we have this incredible challenge to confront. Yeah, I mean, I think if it had just been on TV, I might have said, well, maybe that was just on TV. But it was the fact that so many people went out um, to, to show their respect or to, to be part of it, either in Windsor or in Edinburgh or in Balmoral or in um, London, you know, Sandringham as well. You know, there was an awful big outpouring of, of love, if you like, for want of a better word. You know, it was almost like the 60s again. People were kind of, you know, um, absolutely wanting to be a part of something that they that they really identified with, it seemed to me as British people, you know, and that's what I find yep. fascinating. But stay stay with us, Frank. We've got to take a little break. We'll talk some more about uh, what's going on in Leicester. We'll talk some more as well about what Liz Truss is doing over in New York. We're with Frank Ferradi, writer, sociologist, professor. Call us as well. We want your views. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Got this from Patricia. What qualities do I think uh, we need for the new age? Kindness uh, is the most underrated of virtues. The vitriol that fills the internet appalls me. If we approach each day with kindness, our lives would be so much richer. Well, kindness, I think, is probably a good place to start. Um, Frank, have we become less kind um, as a nation? We were talking yesterday about how uh, the Queen's kind of generation of people were more likely to put up with things, were more likely to see... Um, you know, being selfless and service is very much a way to live. I think in our modern culture, we've become slightly more selfish, if you, if you like, and we are now more, sort of more used to doing whatever we want to do as opposed to doing things on behalf of other people or because other people want us to do them. Uh, we're talking to Frank Ferradi, writer and sociologist. Do you think we've become less kind? Well, you know, if you become uh, self-obsessed and if the entire world is really you and what's inside of you, then it's very difficult to be sensitive to the needs of other people. And kindness becomes something that you do for yourself. Um, And you often see these advertisements, which basically says, relax, be nice to yourself. And somehow you become the object of of this kind of affection and and emotion. And it seems to me that what what has happened is that we find it more difficult to express our desire to be kind to other people. I, mm. I think we still want to be kind to other people. We haven't become uh, sort of uh, so kind of coarse in, in, in our world, but we find it very difficult to find a language uh, to which we express that kindness. And of course, uh, there are very kind people as well, but it's the self-obsession mm. uh, that exists in our society we've got to worry about. 
I think there's no doubt we're more narcissistic now, perhaps, than at any time in our history, right? It, it's true. It's this me too. It's me, 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 me kind of culture. You particularly get that if you talk to students, as, as I do sometimes, mm. where literally it, the world is just them. And when I talk to them, I'm kind of intruding somehow. I feel I'm intruding into their world yes. because I don't validate what they are saying. And they don't like that, do they? They don't wish, you know, we were listening to Julie Hartley Brewer there interviewing Alex Epstein, um, who is uh, very firmly on the side of um, uh, those who are opposed to net zero as a as an end in itself and even a means to an end. Um, but people don't like to hear from people that they don't agree with anymore, which I find extraordinary. And so I'm, and, and Julia said this herself, you know, we're going to try here at Talk TV to stimulate debate, to get people to talk to each other, to find out what somebody else thinks, because how else are you going to learn anything? But you, you hit the nail on the head. We learn when we have to defend our, our views, when we have to mm. argue for what we believe in. It, it's through debate and argument that we gain clarity and really kind of come to grips with our own ideas. Yes. And actually, I, I've learned from people who I disagree with on most points, mm. but they have an insight about something that I never thought about. And yeah. if I'm not exposed to those uh, opposite ideals, mm. then my learning process becomes very much compromised. Yes. I think that's right. So maybe if, if we've only learned that in the past 12 days, then perhaps that will be something we can move forward with. Yeah, Let's talk absolutely. a little bit about Leicester, though, Frank. I don't know how much you know about what's been going on up there. Um, friends of mine in the communities that I know, not in Leicester necessarily, but elsewhere, um, in what, what you might call the um, you know Hindu and Muslim communities, are saying, look, people have been living in Leicester side by side for a very long time. Um, this is nothing to do with immigration as such. It's more to do with what you might call the rampant sort of um, politicisation, if you like, of sport, the hatred that's fueled uh, these young men uh, from perhaps India and Pakistan. Uh, there's a rise in Hindu nationalism. There's a rise in Muslim extremism. Is it that? I think there's a lot of misinformation. I, the way that I look at it is that in the first instance, the problem is the fact that multiculturalism isn't working mm. in the way that it should. Yeah. And uh, under the surface in Leicester, for a very long time, there have been a lot of tensions that are quite independent of anything that has occurred the last few weeks. Uh, the idea that somehow uh, it was a very harmonious community, which is what the mayor says, is, uh, is a bit delusional. You know, if you've been up to Leicester and you've talked to people in the communities, you realize that suspicion was fairly evident all along for many, many years. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that uh, the authorities are reluctant to address the fact that the problem is within Leicester itself. Mm. So there are all these fantasy stories about outsiders coming in uh, that somehow they kind of deflect the criticism by talking about these people kind of arriving in Leicester. Or alternatively, they blame the social media rather than what's happening in Leicester itself. Yes. I think that's very dishonest. And the second thing, I think there's a kind of double standard that's been, that's kind of brewing up whereby uh, it's it's very fashionable to blame Hindu fascism, but if you ever talked about Islamic fascism, you would be called, you would be kind of denounced as Islamophobic. Mm. And I think there's been a tendency to, in a one-sided way, to only see one side of the story, and not understand that uh, this all this talk about extreme Hindus, uh, Hindu nationalism, deflects from the fact that there is a kind of uh, intercommunal tension. But, but the blame, essentially, is, is should be equally shared by both sides. But why now, though? Why did it not happen 10 years ago when there were just as many 
um, Hindus and Muslims living in Leicester? Well, well you know, that there's always been tensions on a smaller scale. I mm. mean, that, this is not, not something new. I, I think that occasionally what happens is that, you know, for a variety of causes, you have the cricket match, you have, you have uh, people getting quite excited about things. Uh, I think that you have a situation where biology, identity politics has become far more politicized in recent years than ever before. And when the whole nation's attention is taken off what's going on on the streets because everybody's fixed on something else, mm. all of a sudden uh, these things become crystallized and in the most unexpected place at the most unexpected time, they blow up. I would imagine there is going to be a lot more of these kind of conflicts, not just in Leicester, but in Birmingham and many, many other mm. places, just because th those kind of politicized forms of identity tensions are, are, are very deeply ingrained. Mm. And as long as the political class and some in the media refuse to acknowledge that it's even going on, uh, or that everything, as you say, is rosy in the garden and, you know, multiculturalism is brilliant. It's like all the people that keep continually pumping it down our throats that all immigration is great, when it very clearly isn't. Well, you see, the thing is that when the riots began, the BBC actually pretended that this was a riot between young people. And you'd be hard pushed to know that the people that were riding, you know, belonged to two different ethnic groups because they refused to mention the fact that the people that were involved were Hindus and Muslims. And it's really not a reflection on, on the two communities yeah. because you know, they're two wonderful communities. But if you're going to ignore a, a very pertinent fact and, and, and pretend that what's going on is just a bunch of young people fighting each other, then what you're doing is in a very dishonest way implying that multiculturalism is working, it's terrific, it's really good, mm. and not really addressing the fact there's a real deep-seated problem that we need to tackle. Yeah. It's similar to the people who say that uh, the dinghies, which came across every single day, by the way, notwithstanding the period of mourning, they didn't actually have a period of mourning in the Albanian uh, people smuggling racket. So, you know, uh, it's a bit like saying that's all fine because we need people to come here as immigrants to work. Well, we don't need people to come here to run drug gangs. Thanks very much. Well, I know this is uh, very disingenuous that somehow illegal immigration and human trafficking can becomes normalised because it becomes a medium for getting workers to mm. work on English farms. I, I think that this kind of dishonesty uh, that is so prevalent when it comes to uh, some very controversial issues has got to be tackled because unless we have clarity, unless people know what the problem is, they're always going to you know, sort of be confused and disoriented. And I think it's one of the things that you can do on talk TV is to hit the nail on the head and actually tell it like it mm. is. And that's what we do. Great to talk to you, Frank. Thank you very much indeed. Frank Ferrady, writer and sociologist. We tell it like it is. It is Talk TV. It's the only place to be. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, lots of you are sending in some very, very interesting tweets and texts as well. Of course, 87222. Uh, we'll be crossing live to Paddington Station a little bit later on, where a lot of people wanted to go to Windsor from yesterday, but couldn't because the trains weren't working. Uh, they weren't working last night. They weren't working this morning. I don't know whether they're going to be working this afternoon. We'll keep you updated. We will talk to Simon Calder, who's live in Paddington Station for us. Um, Sarah says this, Mike, leave King Charles... Um, Alone, I think you might want to say, rather than a chance, or give King Charles a chance. Sick of media already asking such questions. He is in mourning and exhausted. Give the man a break. 
I'm not asking any particular questions. I'm just saying that, you know, coming out of the period of mourning, he might still be in mourning, but for the rest of the rest of us are not in mourning. Uh, we are now all back at work. We're all talking about other things. We're talking about the future. And therefore, I'm afraid if you are the monarch of this nation, whether you're in mourning or not, uh, things will be discussed about the future and about where uh, the direction is in which we head. And so in order to help us do that, let's talk to Elizabeth Norton, royal historian and author, because uh, it is the day after the final day, the final farewell, as one of the papers had it this morning. Uh, it feels like it was quite a long farewell. I said yesterday that originally I thought perhaps 10 or 12 days was a bit long. Actually, I think it was just about right. And I think we're now over it. We're now through it and we're out the other side. And I'm afraid for those people who think we should leave the royal family alone now. Well, no, because that's their job. Let's talk to Elizabeth and see what she thinks. Elizabeth, very good uh, morning to you. Hello, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I went to look on your Twitter to see what you were saying about everything after the uh, the day of, uh, of mourning yesterday, the funeral and the magnificence of all of the pageantry and all of that. And I found some very interesting and, and amazing tweets about various different doors and bits of history <laughs> and things which actually are far more, far more interesting than what we're about to talk about. But that's another story. Um, I've been asking the question today whether we are now in a new era, whether it's, you know, actual an actual new era or just a, an imaginary one. What do you think? So I think it is a new era. I mean, I, traditionally, of course, we tend to define eras by the name of the monarchs. So mm. we have the Elizabethans, the first Elizabethans, of course, the Victorians, followed by the Edwardians. So I think we are in a new era. Um, 70 years of the new Elizabethan period, and we're now into... Charles's period mm. um, and it, it does feel like the end of an era and I think that's the way I've been characterizing the Queen and I'm actually I mean I've left my Twitter fairly blank this morning on the Queen because I I felt like I needed some time to process as well what has gone on in the whirlwind of the past mm. 10 days um, but I think we are in a new era and it is possible that the new King will define his own era and um, certainly Queen Victoria's son Edward VII Edwardian age, he does define his own era. So I think it's possible that King Charles will be able to do it, but I think it does remain to be seen. Yeah, and if you were, uh, with your historian's hat on, going to sort of define the Elizabethan era, the, the modern one, um, the one that existed for the last 70 years, how would that be characterised? Because it was sort of, I guess, from the Second World War to, to yesterday, really, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, at its most basic level, it's a period of change. Um, I mean, you know, if you if you had to sum it up with one word, it would be change. But I think 70 years is it's a difficult period to roll into a definition. I mean, when we think about the Victorians, we think about industrial progress. We think about the empire, rightly or wrongly. Um, and I think the new Elizabethan age that we've just gone through, I think it is about going from World War II, the Second World War, austerity into the modern age, the internet, um, you know, streaming on television. Yeah. Um, and also the post-imperial age. And I think that's really important to bring up is that, you know, when the Queen became the Queen, the British Empire still existed. Yes. And now, of course, it doesn't. And actually the way that she helped negotiate the end of empire, I think was really, really important, particularly with the Commonwealth. So perhaps we define it as the Commonwealth, Britain sort of creating its relationships on the world stage in a post-imperial age. Yeah, because if you think of what, I guess, King Charles has inherited uh, in terms of the society in which we now live, I mean, it couldn't be more different, really, could it, um, 
from what happened in 1952. It's like a different world. Yeah. Um, you know, we look at the pictures of the Queen's accession um, and it is fundamentally very, very different. Um, you know, it's, it's 70 years, it's a long time, but actually I think there are a few periods in history that have changed quite so much in 70 years. Um, it looks completely alien, very, very different. And I think we can see that actually just by making a comparison between the funeral yesterday and of course the funeral of George VI. Mm. It was televised, everyone in the world could watch almost all of the Queen's funeral. And that is something that we didn't see back in the 50s. In fact, there was a huge amount of opposition to actually filming the coronation ceremony for the Queen in 1953. Undoubtedly, King Charles's coronation will be televised. Yes, incredibly, uh, you would be amazed if it wasn't. But I wonder as well whether that will have the sort of viewership that we saw yesterday, because he's not her in the end, you know, and she was a magnificently... Um, brilliant individual whatever anybody says about the monarchy you know she was clearly a very um you know important character in the history of the world yeah i mean she was undoubtedly the most famous person on the planet yeah. before her death I, mean, I, I really don't think that's an exaggeration king charles does not have that instant recognition he has had a very long apprenticeship he's been taught by the queen so he's been taught by the best if you like um so I, i'm hopeful but he has not always been one of the most popular members of the family. I think quite often he's been quite low down yeah. the popularity rankings. There have been a couple of wobbles in the morning period, particularly involving pens, which is slightly worrying. But I think, you know, we can we can assume that he is mourning, of course, you know, and trying to find his feet. But I do think he is going to struggle to establish himself on the world stage mm. in the way that his mother did. And I think perhaps it's an unfair ask of him in that she had 70 years. He, he is not going to have 70 years, of course. And I think he just doesn't share her star quality. And no. I think that's really the fundamental thing with the Queen. Yes, and I'm not sure anybody does, to be honest. I mean, I don't know if anybody could do what, what she did over the years and all of the people that she dealt with and all of the, 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 the sort of the despots that she met and somehow managed to be exactly the same with as if they were children. I mean, it's just incredible. But yeah, I mean, I think he's going to struggle to define what his um, sort of uh, reign will be uh, because he is very much seen as, as sort of holding the fort, isn't he, until William gets it. He is. And I think there is hope for him. I think, you know, if he works out what his role is and how he is going to present himself, I think he can define his own era, albeit it's going to be a lot shorter than 70 years. I mean, King Charles is 73 years mm -hmm. old. Um, so I don't think he needs to be a placeholder monarch, but I think there is a danger that he will become one in as people look towards the future with William, the new Prince of Wales. But I'm hopeful that he will find his place and he certainly has learned from his mother he's learned from the best so i mean I'm, I'm hopeful for him but i think we will see in the next few months and and just finally the period of mourning that they do now privately how long does that go on for so they will disappear now for the week right. so um, we won't see anything of the royal family i suspect harry and Meghan may well fly home during this period but in general we won't yeah. see the royal family for a week very much like the civil service working from home then Yes, yes. I mean, I suspect that business won't stop. <laughs> I don't know, possibly. No, quite. Elizabeth, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Elizabeth Norton, royal historian and author. Check out her Twitter because uh, there's some amazing stuff on there uh, about actually the rich and uh, incredible history of this country in terms of things 
which appear not to be that well known, and certainly not to me. Anyway, uh, lots more to do, of course. We'll take some calls because we need to hear from you. This is the one place where we care what you think, and we let you say it as well. 0344 499 1000. It's the home of free speech. It is, of course, the home of common sense. It's the one place to be. It is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are, of course, uh, back to normal now. Uh, the morning period is over. The Royal Family is still in mourning, and that's entirely uh, as it should be. Uh, but I've got a few texts and tweets to read out to you about this one. Instead of flying around the world and feeding her ego to be a world leader, as Boris did, why doesn't she, and I mean Liz Truss, obviously, stay grounded and solve our major problems? She has created friction with Russia, China and Europe, which isolates the UK. Now it seems we have no trade deal with the USA, which makes our long-term friendship somewhat frosty. I feel global UK relations trouble lies ahead, says Ian. I wouldn't agree with that, actually. Um, you know, I think the whole point about Liz Truss is that she has only literally just got the job. She's got plenty to do. Uh, Molly says this, raising a good point on uh, Talk TV, uh, says, she says, Mike Graham, why is Truss swanning off to the US on her first working day in office, terribly judged? I mean, I don't think she needs to be there, is my point. Um, I'm not quite sure what she is going to achieve, but I don't think if you're going to, not going to trade deal with the US, uh, if you're not going to be able to sort anything out at home, uh, then you need to be at home to sort it out. Why do you give so much cash to protect Ukraine's border, says Rick, but not our own? Pretty sure with that much cash I could design and produce a safe, effective floating border uh, for where our territorial waters begin. Well, that's not a bad thought either. Um, and of course, lots of you uh, also responding to what Mary said. Um, Mark from Sunbury, your guest thinks Putin should have been invited to the Queen's funeral. Has his military blows the arms and legs off of Ukrainian children? Revolting, pompous, middle-class arrogance. Well, I don't think she was actually saying that, Mark. Mary was simply saying that an extended interview should have been given to Russia uh, since it was given to China. Lots of people disagree with that. Uh, and I'm not sure uh, that I would agree with Mary in that. But she said that in diplomatic circles, you have a kind of agreement that you extend an invitation to somebody who then doesn't take it up. So they dis uh, have discretion not to take it up, as in fact Saudi Arabia did. They didn't send Mohammed bin Salman. They sent somebody else. Anyway, let's talk to Lee Anderson, a man uh, for whom diplomacy is a dirty word. Conservative MP for Ashfield. Uh, Lee, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Diplomacy is my middle name, as you well know. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, but, you know, it's quite, it's not, oh, you wouldn't call it soft diplomacy, I don't think, the sort of, the sort of stuff that you practice, Lee. Um, what have you made of the last few days? It's been an incredible period. I've, I've said that uh, it's given us all a reminder of what it means to be British. It gives us all a reminder of, of what's good about this country. I'm sick to death of people talking it down, sick to death of people saying how it's all going down the swaddy. Uh, I think we're a great country, and I think this weekend proved well, I'm on the same page as you uh, on this one, Michael. Uh, last week I was in, in London. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to, to walk past the Queen's Coffin and pay my last respects. I was there on Whitehall when, when the funeral procession came by. Look, uh, you know, we've all been glued to our television screens over the weekend. We've all been involved. Uh, and you're quite right, Michael. Nobody does it better than us. Mm. We are a great nation. The Queen has served us well for 70 years, over 70 years. Um, I'm incredibly proud to be British. I'm fortunate enough to have been born in this great country of ours. And I remind myself every single day that I'm a proud Englishman, just fortunate to, to be born here and incredibly proud of, of our culture, our traditions and our history. And I think it's just served as a little reminder of the weekend 
what a fantastic and brilliant country we still are. Absolutely right. Liz Truss is off in uh, in the US um, at the UN. Um, some people say she should be back here sorting out our problems. What do you think? Well, I think Liz has put together a, a, a really good cabinet. I'm, you know, I'm pleased with some of the appointments in there. You know, a, a, a prime minister's job is to lead, obviously. We've got to lead on the world stage as well, Michael. And we've also got to put the right people in place in this country. I think we've got the right people. We've already seen it. With, she, you know, she hit the ground running, I think, with the with the announcements on, on the energy crisis. Mm. You know, she said some encouraging things about fracking, which, you know, I'm a supporter of fracking if it's safe and if it's cheaper. Mm. So, look, you know, leaders have to lead. They have to lead on the world stage as well. I think, you know, the country has come together a little bit over the past two weeks as well. With, with with the passing of our of our, our late yeah. queen, so let's uh, let's hope we can move forward uh, uh, and shut the opposition up, shut the mainstream media up, uh, and, and get this country back mm. back on its feet. Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed to be fair that uh, that she's not coming back for prime minister's questions. I was looking forward to her giving uh, old Keir Starmer another going over, um, but that will have to be done uh, by I presume Therese Coffey on Wednesday, will it? Well, I don't think there is a PMQs this week, Mike. I don't, we're not back till Thursday, so there's, there's not a, a PMQs on, on Wednesday, as, as, I, as I believe. Oh, okay. Um, well, you may so, you may well be right. My my information could be duff, as it's come from somebody uh, who's only about twenty one and a half. You're, you're probably getting your information from the BBC. No, I'm getting it from my producer, who's getting worse <laughs> rather than better. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here. He's had a day off, you see. We should never give him days off because then they just forget what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, he's just got one job, hasn't he? And yeah. he's failed on that. He's so, failed, uh, yeah. Hope he's that. Gave him a bottle of scotch this morning as well. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the, the, the way forward because when she is back, she's got plenty to get on with. One of the things that a lot of people are asking me about, and I know it sounds like a, a sort of niche subject, is she sorted out the electricity uh, problem. She's told us what we're going to be getting so the bills are not going to be out of out of order. But for some people who get oil delivered to their houses because they live in the country um, or because they don't you know, have regular electric supply or they don't use gas, you know, that seems to have fallen through the cracks at the moment. Do you know if there's a plan to sort that out? 
Yeah, I mean, my parents fall into that category, uh, uh, Mark, and many people do in in a, in a coal field area. Mm. Who's gone from coal, couldn't get gas supply, so right. they've gone on oil. So I, I believe that is something that is being looked at because it affects thousands and thousands of people across the country, and it's only right, it's only fair that you know because the oil prices for you know for oil centralizing that's gone through the roof yeah. like gas has. So yeah, I believe it is being locked down. Yeah, good. And the mini budget coming on Friday, we understand if that's if that's the right information, is it? Well, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a statement, I believe, this Friday. Look, it's important. We've got a new prime minister, a new government. We need a new focus and, and possibly a new direction. Look, we've been giving money away, a lot of money away, Michael, in this country of ours, billions and billions of pounds. It's not just about throwing money at everything. We we need a proper. We need, I'll tell you what we do need. I, I want to see a proper energy policy in this country, Mike. Moving mm. uh, forward, I think you know I've said it before on your show that we've sort of sleepwalked into this energy crisis. We've we've been far too nice to other countries mm. in, in buying foreign fuel. Look, we've got gas, we've got oil, we've got coal in this country. It's absolutely madness that we're not using all our resources while we transition to net zero by 2050. Let's get the coal out, let's get the, let's get the oil and gas out of the ground. Let's be sensible, have a sensible energy policy. Let's create thousands of jobs. That in turn creates thousands and millions of pounds in revenue for the mm. Treasury. It has to be the sensible and right way forward. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. What about the uh, situation with our borders? A lot of people saying, you know, it's all very well giving a couple of billion quid to Ukraine to protect their borders. What about our borders? You know, can we not protect them with that kind of money? Well, um, um, look, Michael, you know, you know my position on this, the uh, legal crossings. I'm absolutely sick to the back teeth of this. I did raise it after I spoke to you a few weeks ago uh, on this channel mm. in, um, in in the House of Commons to the, the previous Home Secretary. I'm fed up to the back teeth of it. Look, my, my solution is simple. I'm not in government, but if I was, I'd just put them on a boat and send them straight back. Uh, and if it means a standoff with France, then so be it. I think the, I think the country as a whole would get behind the government that took that sort of stance. But we don't do that. You know, we, we're British. We try, and, we try and do things the right way, obey, obey the rules. But I think, you know, this current crisis, five, six million pounds a day is costing to house these illegals. And let's be honest, Mike, they're not genuine asylum seekers. No. The chances, the economic migrants, you know, the, whatever they are, they need sending straight back. Yeah. And regardless of whether Joe Biden likes it or not, we've got to get Northern Ireland sorted out, haven't we? We have got to get Northern Ireland. We, we, you know, we seem to sometimes forget a little bit in this country. I think we're all guilty of it that, you know, um, Northern Ireland is part of this great country of ours. You know, they, they're probably more patriotic, Mike. Uh, the Irish, uh, the Northern Irish, than, than a lot of people on mainland Britain. So, yeah, you know, I, I don't take much notice of Biden, to be honest. You know, I'm, I'm more interested in what our own government's got to say. And whatever decisions we make and what, whatever direction we're travelling, you know, the people of Northern Ireland have got to be at the top of that list. Yeah, absolutely right. Lee, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. We'll see you when you're back uh, on Thursday. Lee Anderson, Conservative MP uh, for Ashfield. So no Prime Minister's questions this week. Uh, back on Thursday into Parliament. Uh, Liz Truss back from New York, of course. The mini-budget will come on Friday. We'll bring you all of that right here on Talk TV because it is the only place to be. A lot of you are getting quite worked up about Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby. Carolyn Kent says, Mike, it was a total cop-out, Holly and Phil, on this morning. Uh, thought they play the We Are Journalist card, but being near the Abbey for five minutes is not exactly journalism they're both lightweight nobodies who jump any cues.com i uh, hope they both go there's a lot of uh, quite strong feeling about all of this you know uh, itv could have a problem here uh, we shall see we'll look into this story for you uh, and we'll take calls on it perhaps as well oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand a lot of people felt very strongly 
about the fact that some journalists and some MPs, I mean, I'm less worried about an MP, but more worried about an MP's entourage, if you like. If an MP wants to go in his place of work or her place of work to have a look, it wasn't interfering with people walking past who had been queuing for hours and hours and hours. But if it's good enough for David Beckham, I'd say it's good enough for Holly and Phil. Uh, and what they shouldn't have done was pretend that they were making a movie or some kind of um, filming some kind of news item because they clearly weren't. This is Talk TV. Talk Radio. Danger. Slippery people. Uncomplicated life rubric for hungry thought thinkers. It's Talk Radio. The home of common sense. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Bill from Wales says, Mike, uh, I think Liz Truss has done a clever move over the trade deal with the US. Biden was using it to bully us and ensure we were trapped into the EU. We know Trump is going to win in 2024 and we can get a free trade deal then. I understand it doesn't make too much of a difference as we do a lot of trade with the US anyway. Well, I mean, a lot of trade deal nonsense is spoken, I have to be said, uh, particularly by people who think that we won't be able to do any trade deals with anybody and we won't be able to do a trade deal with the EU. You don't need a trade deal to actually trade. It's that simple. Let's talk now to Sir Peter Soulsby, Mayor of Leicester. Uh, we were just listening to a reporter there for Seek for Truth, uh, talking about what's going on up there. Sir Peter, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, it seems a rather complex issue, this. We've just had it explained to us that one of the problems with um, the communities in Leicester at the moment is that there's been a, a bit of an influx of, of people coming from a particular part of India who might have accessed uh, EU passports because they are Portuguese nationals as well. Is that the case? Uh, Mike, I, I mean, I think what uh, we've got here is uh, things, issues being brought into Leicester that really have absolutely nothing at all to do with Leicester. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's a matter of frustration to me, a lot of anger to uh, to local people mm. and uh, a lot of local people very baffled uh, by what uh, are obviously things that uh, are important in the subcontinent of India, but uh, really have no place yeah. in, uh, in modern Leicester. But are these things being brought in by people from the subcontinent because that's what we're being told and it seems to me uh, and I've been visiting Leicester for many years I once saw the Who at the Granby Halls many years ago um, and stayed in the Holiday Inn you know it's a great city and it's always been uh, a very ethnic city it was then um, and I would say that you know for decades Muslims and, and Hindus have lived side by side without any problems at all and they still do I mean that's you know that's fine. what we've got here uh, is uh, oh, a few hundred uh, young men and they are all men, and yeah. they are all young for the most part, you know, uh, who uh, have chosen Leicester as a bit of a battleground. Yeah. Uh, I, I was really interested in uh, some of the uh, figures that came back from the police uh, about the ones that they'd arrested. Yeah. Now, it, it's not a cross-section of those involved, but it does give you an indication. And uh, of the 18 they'd arrested, eight uh, came from outside of the city, right. uh, from Birmingham, from Solihull, from London. Um, and, you know, it does suggest that... Uh, People, for whatever reason, you know, have, have chosen uh, Leicester as a, a good place mm. for a battle about issues that have got nothing whatsoever to do with yeah. Leicester. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I think, you know, the fact is, and you, you say, I mean, you know Leicester well. Um, you know, I, you know, Leicester is somewhere that, uh, you know, of course, you know, community relations, you know, always have tensions and so on. But, you know, we do pride ourselves on the fact that, uh, uh, you know, different communities do get on incredibly well, work alongside of each other, collaborate together, talk to each other uh, in a way unless that isn't the, play, isn't the case everywhere else. Uh, and, 
it, that remains the case today. You know, we've got a few hundred uh, young lads who are uh, making a nuisance of themselves and quite a dangerous nuisance. Yeah. Well, that's uh, the thing. I mean, because, you. you know, some people who would perhaps be maybe apologists for what's happening would say, well, you know, football hooligans fight in the streets all the time in all parts of Britain. It's nothing to do with, with race. But this one clearly is to do with, as you said, uh, an issue which is an issue outside of this country, an issue in, in India and Pakistan. And if it's true that, that a lot of these young men are coming to this country specifically uh, with the idea of doing something like this because they're coming from a place in, in Gujarat, I'm told, uh, where they've got Portuguese passports, then that needs to be investigated, doesn't it? No, they're coming from Birmingham. Uh, I, mean, I mean, that you know, that's... So uh, you've not heard this, this this story about sort of the Portuguese-speaking goans then? Do, do, you know, do you know one of the most evident things of this is the extent to which stories on social media have been used to, uh, to feed the, uh, uh, you know, the people's perceptions of uh, you know of, of what's happening here in Leicester, the amount of disinformation, in fact, in some cases, absolute lies that have been shown, you know, on uh, on social media, uh, is is really quite alarming. And yes, I mean that's you know that's one of the things on social media. And the police are particularly frustrated uh, because obviously uh, you know they've been trying to uh, put out the, uh, the 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 facts of what has and has not been happening in Leicester. Mm-hmm. But of course, uh, you know, social media it's pretty wild out there. No, and, of course, uh, you know. No, yeah, listen, I, 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 take, I, take, I take your point. I mean, I'm not saying any of this because of what's been on social media. I'm saying it because of somebody that we spoke to who's been looking into what supposedly is happening there. Because if uh, eight of the 18 people arrested were from elsewhere, then 10 of them were from Leicester. And so oh, presumably, yeah. presumably they're living in Leicester. They've been brought up there by their parents who may be first or second generation people living there as well. So, I mean, there's, it, it's not simply people from the outside, is it? Oh, no, I would, I'm not suggesting it was. I'm, I'm just uh, suggesting it's been fed by social media. It's been fueled by people coming from outside as well, of course, right. uh, as some young people in Leicester. But we are talking about a city of, what, 350,000, 360,000, uh, and, uh, you know, a few hundred people, mm. young young lads out on the streets making use of themselves. I'm not going to, I'm not trying to diminish it, you know, because obviously that is uh, something that, uh, you know, is worrying for us. Uh, it's not good for uh, the people who have to... Uh, you know, live in the surrounding streets, and it's not good for the reputation no. of the city. But no, it's really but I not. You, I think you, yeah, but I, th- but I, th- I think you have to have to have to keep it in proportion. Well, we are keeping it in proportion. We haven't led the show with it, uh, no. which we might have done if it was even, even worse than it currently is. But if you're a shopkeeper in one of these streets that we're looking at now on the screen, you must be a bit worried that somebody's going to throw a brick through your window uh, or set fire to your car uh, or something like that. So, so any kind of lawlessness of, of any kind is a concern um, because it yeah. could because it could get worse. Absolutely. But do you just watch that video there and, and just see how effectively the police were in there? Yeah. Uh, and now they've got enough people on the ground. And of course, you know, it, 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 it took a while, I think, for, uh, for them to, to realise just, you know, how serious this could be. But as soon as they did realise, they got the people on the ground and they have been very, very effective in stopping it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very confident uh, that, uh, you know, they're not going to let a few hundred lads uh, disrupt our city and cause undoubted distress uh, to to local people and indeed damage to local mm. businesses. And you if, can see and that. If, and if I was just going to say, I mean, you can see there that you know initially that's very few police mm. dealing with a, a, a difficult situation. Yeah. That's but also that's also one that's a one video. I've seen other videos, Peter, yeah, which yeah, have been yeah, taking, yeah, taking but, place but, at night, but, which are a lot different. You know. Yeah, but but, but if you see the videos of, of 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 you know what's happened subsequent to that. 
you know, there quite clearly they were outnumbered. You yeah. know, very, very obvious how you just just got to see what's happening um, and and were therefore limited in what they can do. They responded very quickly to call in enough people to make sure they're not outnumbered. Yeah. Uh, and subsequently, yeah, they've done a lot of arrests, but they've also uh, stopped any disturbances. Yeah. But if these are very uh, unrepresentative of, say, the Hindu and Muslim communities in Leicester, what are the community leaders of those two groups doing to stop it from continuing? Uh, I think they're doing their very, very best uh, to use their influence to stop it happening. But you've got to recognise that, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about more established, older people in, in, in the communities who've lived here for a long time, who are you know, very much committed to uh, the, uh, the very good relations that we've got in Leicester. And of course, uh, you know, being a parent myself, you know, our, our ability to influence uh, young lads, uh, in their uh, late teens and early 20s uh, is perhaps, mm. uh, you know, not as uh, as absolute as it might be. And, no. reason, and what are and most reason, of these kids... doesn't always work. What are most of these kids doing? Are they doing, Are they at university? Are they working? Do they have jobs? What are, are they unemployed? What are they, what are they doing? Well, I think we'll find out as the, uh, as the uh, you know, as the, as the charges go through, uh, you know, find out the, their backgrounds. But, uh, you know, as far as I could tell, they're fairly... Uh, normal cross-section mm. uh, of, uh, of kids of that age who uh, found uh, uh, pretext excuses to come onto the streets and, uh, and, and make a, a use of themselves and have a bit of a fight. Yeah. I mean, you say that you're confident Leicester is resilient uh, and it will return to normal relations very soon. How soon? Oh, very soon. I mean, that's all I can say. Soon, I mean, like yeah, tomorrow, I mean, like I mean, tonight? I mean, I, mean I, 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 I can't guarantee that uh, what the police are doing uh, will entirely clamp down on this. I've got enormous uh, admiration uh, and have taken a, a lot of injuries themselves. I think it was about 16, uh, in, you know, uh, police injured. Uh, but I'm very, very confident their ability to prevent further disorder and to put necessary resources into making that happen. And I'm also very confident that uh, the very well-established communities in Leicester uh, are uh, going to wish to uh, ensure uh, that uh, they can do all they can to uh, to prevent uh, any repeat of this and to uh, ensure that any damage between communities is minimised and repaired. Mm. Have you got any worries at all, Sir Peter, that this might get a lot worse before it gets better? Mm. I might regret saying this, but 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 actually, I believe the police are are on top of it, and uh, you know, I, I I certainly believe that uh, there's a strong commitment from the. Those were established in Leicester, you know, to uh, to make sure that it doesn't get any worse. Mm. Uh, you know, but, but of course, it's, it's it's a worrying time for you know city. I mean, nobody likes having this sort of thing happening in their uh, in their streets. And uh, you know, I, I very much hope that it will uh, very soon uh, pass, and that we will very quickly uh, get about the business of repairing the damage. So Peter Salisbury, Mayor of Leicester, thank you very much indeed. We'll take calls on this coming up. 0344 499 1000 is the Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We are back uh, to normal business, I suppose you might say, resuming uh, after the period of mourning for the Queen. The funeral was yesterday, of course. Uh, Laura Dodsworth is here with me this morning. A very good uh, after- actually afternoon to you. You're later than advertised normally because we're doing planks together. Hooray. Later on, um, which is always good news. Um, we didn't do it last week for obvious reasons, but we've got plenty of reasons to do it this week. Absolutely. And I'm going to mention um, two names to you, Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby. Okay, fair enough. We can we can talk about that later. Later, yes. Oh, thanks. Yes, but I've you've got, got some something more important. 
Well, yeah, I think there's a, a very important story which didn't get the coverage it deserved last week because of the mourning mm. for the Queen's death. Um, but this is the death of a young woman called Marza Amini in Iran. Mm. Now, <laughs> for me, it's it's incredible that you know, which deaths get the attention and which ones don't. And I'm not really specifically talking about the Queen's death. That's understandable. It dominated the headlines. But think about, say, when, when George Floyd mm. was killed in the hands of the police, how it propelled worldwide outrage, anger, a whole movement, mm. protests, violence. But this young woman's death has had almost no media coverage. Now, this is what happened. Um, the hijab was made mandatory in Iran in 1979. And Amini was um, arrested and detained because she wasn't wearing the hijab mm. properly. This is what happens in Iran. Um, she was supposedly taken away and beaten in the police van. Now, of course, the police are denying this, right. as you would expect. She was walking around, presumably, in the street. Just walking around in yeah. the street, not, not properly or modestly dressed. Her improper, immodest appalling hair must have been on site mm. yeah i'm very angry about this story so the true details haven't really emerged and maybe they never will but the guardians reported that a ct scan of her head shows um, bruises on the face consistent with beating mm. um, a brain hemorrhage and damage to the skull so it looks like she was beaten to death mm. while in police custody you see what they do is they arrest women and they give them what they call re-education yeah. sessions chilling word that isn't it yeah it is and so she didn't she didn't survive her re-education session it is disgusting and morally outrageous on an epic scale mm. but what's worse is uh you know not only are the police not admitting it but they released a very duplicitous video which is supposed to imply that she died of a heart attack or epilepsy or some other natural cause of death mm. <clears throat> unrelated to beating you might as well say shot while escaping might not you you might as well say something like that. Now, this was the branch of what they call the morality police. It's the moral security police, mm. which is also another chilling term, isn't it? Imagine having a morality mm. police. Right. The commander of the morality police has been suspended. So I think it's safe to say that infers some guilt. Mm. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done that, would they? Um, but the, the police commander of Greater Tehran has assured assured the people of Iran that there was no resistance or argument. I mean, I bet there wasn't because she was beaten around the head mm. and that she was even joking in the vans. But this is the pièce de résistance, uh, Mike. The police normally wear body cams, but they weren't that day. Mm. Just by some incredible coincidence, the police weren't wearing their body cams on the day that she was supposedly mm. beaten to death and died in custody. And this isn't an isolated story. This has happened to um, other people mm. in, in Iran. There was a 28-year-old woman. She was um, berated by somebody on public transport for being improperly dressed. And bystanders intervened and they kicked this, this guy off the, off the public transport. She was then arrested and beaten and she was forced to apologise to this bystander mm. on police and I don't know if you remember but there was a, a group of Iranian people in 2014 who did a little social media dance to Farrell Williams Happy Yeah, and they were sentenced to prison and 91 lashes I think Amazing Yeah, so I um, remember one incident which may be longer ago than that where there was a demonstration of one kind or another for some students and one of them was shot dead um, and at that time mm. there was an organisation called Press TV which operated in this country which an awful lot of people used to do shows and do work for who you would otherwise thought wouldn't and shouldn't have. And I'm not going to bother naming who they are, but there were some quite influential politicians who used to go on there and would take money, and it was an Iranian state operation. 
And thankfully, at that point, most of them stopped. But they hadn't stopped before. Oh, I know. I mean, I'm. It's a horrible I, regime, isn't it? it? It is a really, really horrible regime. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. There is um, this death moved me personally more than the Queen's death. Mm. There is something so Handmaid's Tale and so sickening about yeah. this, and I don't know why it doesn't inspire the outrage and the anger of something like. George Floyd's mm. death. You know, women are beaten in re-education sessions for not covering their hair. It's just disgusting. I mean, and in a disturbing development, the Iranian government wants to now use facial recognition to enforce hijab wearing in public. I, I how are you can do that? Well, then anyone who's counterintuitive. Well, the hijab covers the hair, right? So they'll be observing people's faces, and mm. if if they're not wearing the head scarf. Um, it'll make arresting them easier to have mm. all these facial recognition cameras up. I mean, facial recognition doesn't seem to be making the world any safer anywhere. No. It just seems to be giving governments the opportunity to monitor and control people. Mm. Um, but this, I mean, this story just makes me want to say no to controlling women's bodies. No to morality police. What a terrible concept. Yeah, who's morals, no, by the way? No to facial recognition. No to religious laws. And, I mean, I've been following this hashtag called My Stealthy Freedom for years. This is... There has been a level of outrage and protest for a long time. It gets almost no coverage. There are protests now in Iran and the the Kurds in the protest, because um, Amini was a Kurd, have reported the police using water cannons and guns on them. But it gets almost no international mm. coverage. So I just, I really wanted to... But is to... that because of, it, of the fact that it's Iran? You know, I mean, if it was happening in another country, it might get more coverage and it might be that it's because of the perception of Iran, which is a sort of theocracy as they call it, rather sort of benignly. It's not really. It's a dictatorship, isn't it? By sort of men in very strange robes who, who believe in God. It's mm. as simple as that. Um, and they don't believe that anybody should disagree with them. And therefore, if you do, you get punished. And so I think people, if they think that, when they hear these stories, they go, well, that's what happens in Iran. I guess so. But, you know, for a long time, many women have been protesting this. They've been taking their headscarves off at the protests. I guess yeah. if enough women do it, there won't be enough places in the, in the police mm. cells. There won't be enough police to re-educate and beat them. Um, but I, I think there are lessons we can draw from this that we need to apply to the UK. I think there's a way in which we've been living under de facto blasphemy laws mm. for a long time. You know, at the extreme end, you've got um, the case of Salman Rushdie. OK. Yeah. Um, but, you know, do you, do you remember when Cineworld uh, cancelled the screenings of the film Our, yeah. Our Lady of, what was it called? Um, do you remember the film about the prophet? Yes, I do. Our Lady Our Lady of Heaven? So I can't remember what it was called, but I remember the story. So they, they said they wouldn't be able to guarantee yeah. the safety of mm. cinema goers, you know. So you, you've got examples of de facto blasphemy laws like that. But then also, you know, you and I disagreed about this last week. People protesting against the monarchy. Yeah. Um, in the public streets of our country's cities have been arrested. Mm. Um, you know, also you've got the police knocking on people's doors for using the wrong the wrong pronouns, mm. compelled speech. We need to be really aware of this kind of creeping form of morality policing here in this country. Yeah. I think we should be getting rid of as many CCTV cameras as possible, unless you can prove they've made the country safer, and I don't think they have. No. Got a text here from somebody who doesn't give a name. We have our own morality police, but they're enforcing woke and rainbow culture rather than the version of intolerance in Iran. Same thing, different prevailing tyranny. Well, so far they haven't started killing people for it, which is the difference. But um, I take your point. I mean, I think the point is there are differences between those kinds of kinds of countries and their uh, and what and what happens there. Same as you would say the same in Russia. You know, demonstrating in Russia is a very dangerous experience. I would I would have thought. You know, and demonstrating Absolutely. in China similarly. Yeah. And we, but you're right. I mean, we have to be careful and we have to worry about it. Um, but I think for the purposes of, of not enough people knowing about it, 
you fix that. Um, but people, I think, would expect it in Iran, you know? They would. But, you know, in Iran and everywhere, people need to be given choice and they need to be given freedom and they need to take it back when it's taken away from them. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, in, at risk of death in some cases, you know? I mean, a lot of people would say, well, I would die for my freedom. But really, would you? Well, um, if you look at the My Stealthy Freedom hashtag, which has been going for years, women take off their hijab in public and they film themselves and they post it. Mm. So they are taking enormous risks. The case of that young woman I told you about, that um, the example of the bystander who was kicked off public transport, mm. that meant that she was arrested and she was beaten and forced to apologise on national TV. So, yeah, people are taking risks, but it shows the strength of feeling when hundreds of women annually are doing mm. that in the country yeah i mean there are still lots of people fleeing iran as well i mean a lot of people that have come to this country I had a, a, a cab driver the other day who was from iran who had left some years ago mm. um we know people who've still got family there um whose family are literally under house arrest mm. um you know it's a very undemocratic dangerous place i'm afraid I know. Well, do you remember, but we do have to be careful of this kind of creeping morality. Do you remember Emma Barnett interviewed um, this first woman, um, was it the president of the Muslim Council of Britain? She was the president of the mm. Muslim Council of Britain. She interviewed her um, last year. It was a fairly gentle journalistic interrogation yeah. but she kept asking how many female imams they are right. like it's a relevant question the answer could be none because the right. religion doesn't agree with it but she asked she wasn't getting an answer um despite it being i think a fairly typical and light line of journalistic mm. questioning you know one guardian writer kelsa praise called it savage and the video was taken down by the bbc mm. so there's and, and in that is a kind of an implied racism yes. or, in a way that um, Muslims wouldn't be able to stand up to robust questioning right. or criticism. And we really have to keep um, the questioning, the criticism and the debate alive. Mm. Absolutely right. It's a bit like what's happening in Leicester at the moment, which we've been talking about this morning, which we'll talk about um, in a moment. Laura Dodsworth is here. Uh, we've got a great deal uh, of other stuff to get into, including our conversation the other week about Andrew Tate. Uh, you will hear more about that. We'll take your calls as well. We are in the final hour of the show, but we've got some time uh, in the last bit. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Happy day. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is, of course, Talk TV, the only place to be for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, or at least a reasonably honest attempt to get at the truth, which an awful lot of people in other forms of the media don't seem to want to do. We've got Laura Dodsworth here, seeker of truth. In fact, I think I could call you. I uh, love it. You're a woman um, after my own heart. You like to ask the right questions, but you sometimes like to also ask the wrong questions, which is not a wrong question, but it's the question that somebody doesn't want you to ask. Fair because enough. there's no point in asking people questions they want to answer. The point about what we do, I think, is to ask people questions that make them feel a bit uncomfortable, make you, them go a bit sort of... Ooh. I'm going to take that one for my tombstone, Seeker of Truth. I, yeah. like that. I was once called Slayer of Taboos. I was like, oh, I'm having that That's one. That's good. I'm keeping That's Seeker nice of Truth. Um, do you know, I was just talking about the Seeker of Truth. Mm. We're, not, we're not going to say what we were just talking about, but I often think sometimes our little off-air bits mm. where we have a gossip in between, <laughs> when they interrupt our conversation with the news, God damn it. I know. We just have the best little chats. If you could, if you could cue them all up and play them live, I think yes. people would love it. Well, we, maybe one day we will. Maybe one day. Okay, so I want to pick up on something you just mentioned at the end before we talk about Sleepy Joe yeah. and the pandemic being over. Andrew Tate. So yes. we had a great chat about Andrew mm. Tate the other week. Again, it's a story that the mainstream media haven't covered much. No. And when they have covered it, they've covered it wrong. Mm. Here, though, we've been seeking the truth. We gave it a different spin. Now, we talked about why he was really deplatformed. Mm. And... Um, 
as always, Talk TV do a little clip of the video. Mm. They put it up on Twitter. They put it on Facebook, whatever. Now, I, I've been looking at the analytics for this. The the video on Twitter got about five and a half thousand mm. views. It's kind of okay. Some yeah. people watched it. Not that many. In the same program, we also talked about compelled speech and pronouns. Now, that video had about 25,000 mm. views. I thought, well, that's interesting. Because yes. I think the Andrew Tate stuff's quite spicy. And also, the stuff that you and I do generally goes quite well. Yeah, yeah, say. yeah. We, you know, we don't hold back. It's yeah. normally quite spicy. And then um, I'd done an article about Andrew Tate, which I shared on Facebook. And, and Facebook loves to tell you about your analytics yeah. to try to persuade you to spend money to advertise, which mm. I've never done. But it said that... My Andrew Tate post had had six times fewer impressions than the normal. Oh, yeah. Right. Now, somebody else has taken clips of our, our video and put them on TikTok. In fact, there are lots of clips of our conversation mm. going around TikTok. Right now, Mike, we are TikTok sensations. And they're in the hundreds of thousands. And one particular clip's actually had 1.1 1. 1 million mm. views. Right. And I tell you what I take this to mean. TikTok hasn't banned Andrew Tate hashtags or content, but Twitter and Facebook are obviously suppressing it. They're yes. kind of holding it down. They're not See, giving I it the find true that really reach. Sinister. Get. But they do it all the time, and they yeah. talk about how they do it. It's mm. in their it's in their policies. Yeah. You know, Facebook has talked about how it deliberately shadow bans content that goes against World Health Organization mm. guidelines because it will get ninety five percent less readership. Right. So they do that. They will kind of squash something if it's. But they they make that happen, taste. right? So when they say it's got ninety five percent less readership, so therefore it's not good for your uh, brand or whatever. The reason it's got ninety five percent less is because they're making it go nowhere well that's exactly right? it they're not saying to you right. oh that post has got 95 percent less views they put it into their company bio like mm. aren't we doing well yeah we're reducing the reach of the stuff we don't like so um anyway the point is there's still a massive audience for people to um talk about andrew tate yeah. to learn about andrew tate but you won't really find it on twitter and facebook because i think that they might be shadow banning the mm. content they're holding it down i don't feel like the reach is truly organic mm. No, and that is a worry as well, because you have no control over any of that. I remember very early, I don't know if I've told you this story, but in my very early days when I did an overnight show and the Independent Republic was a kind of a thing, I overnight it became a kind of a family, a community, so we had a Facebook page. Somebody offered, I had to get somebody to moderate it in the end, because people were literally talking to each other all day about the show the night before, about what was coming up the next. One day it just suddenly disappeared. Absolutely no explanation. I had originally started the page, so technically I was in charge of it. But they hadn't got in touch to say we're taking it down for this reason or that reason. Mm -hmm. They hadn't said that somebody had violated the rules. I'd never had an email of any kind to say that, you know, some of the things being talked about on here are in some way, you know, offensive or anything like that. And could I find anyone to talk to? No. There was right. no point of contact at Facebook for me to say, excuse me, why have you done this? And, and can we have some kind of conversation about it? Could you put it back? It just disappeared. And mm -hmm. that was the end of that. And it never did come back. Yeah, the problem is they're just not they're not transparent about what they do and how. And ultimately that's quite a deterrent to people using the platforms long term. Mm. I don't think it's going to work well for them. And also there's the whole Streisand effect. Mm. You might not be able to find your Andrew Tate content on Facebook. What are you gonna do? You're gonna you're gonna find it in the end. That's why his rumble videos are yeah. doing well. That's why people are still on TikTok. Anyway, I think it's funny that two Luddites like you and I don't know how to do a TikTok video. Yeah. Well, well, I don't. I don't think. We I should. Don't think you do. uh, well, I mean, when but I our saw TikTok videos are doing very well yeah. on their own without us. Well, funny us. enough, my, my son, who is also one who would have watched that on TikTok with Andrew Tate, um, occasionally tells me, you know, all the Plank of the Week video did really well. There's one half a million over here, and so he kind of monitors it and tells me. But I, I just think it's not for for the likes of me. Maybe for you, but when I saw Boris Johnson had a TikTok account, I thought, well, that's definitely not a good idea. 
Well, when Boris Johnson, number 10, Nadine Dorries got TikTok accounts, I went on so I can kind of keep an eye on what they're doing, but I can't get into it. It's like, also, I really don't need another social media addiction. No, I really don't. I tried Snapchat for about five minutes because a friend of mine who's even older than me was put in charge of quite a big publication Snapchat account. I was like, how are you doing that? You don't even know what Twitter is, you know. And I just couldn't get on with it at all. You know, shortened versions of stories in Cosmopolitan and shortened, you know, magazine articles that were melted down to sort of four paragraphs. I'm just going, that. Well, you know, also how many addictions do you need? But in my case, anyway. Mm. So we're talking about keeping an eye on world leaders, uh, Biden. Joe Biden. Let's talk about Sleepy Joe. So um, Joe Biden's been on CBS News and he said the pandemic is over. Right. Yes. He said, we still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. So I think it's changing. So he's still wearing three, though, isn't he? Well, he's got he's what is he have four shots? He was wearing two masks at one point. He's still wearing masks outside and still getting COVID. I don't know who he is to comment on anything. I'm no. sorry, the man is such an idiot. I know. So he's he's declared the pandemic over, but they've still got all these incredibly ridiculous, strict, nonsensible mandates. You know, young children are still wearing masks mm. in nursery schools and and schools. Doesn't in some it depend states. on the states there though? Depends because on the, the state. states are all obviously the people who have the final say, don't they? Yeah, but there are still federal rules about um, COVID. Uh, oh yeah, you the can't COVID you can't injections. fly you can't fly into America if you haven't had two injections. So they still got, they've still got the travel rules. They don't care. Yeah, they don't care Yo- about the boosters, but they do care about the first two. So Jokovic couldn't compete at the yeah. Open. It's still affecting all travellers. Yeah. The Pentagon requires all members of the military mm. to be vaccinated. Yeah. They are not allowing religious exemptions. And let's not forget that all these vaccines are researched and developed using um, replicated cell lines mm. from, from fetuses. Yeah. For some people, that is a matter of conscience. Yeah. They've not allowed religious exemptions. Um, the New York Post reported that in... Um, in the state of New York, I think about 2,000 Department of Education employees have lost their jobs mm. because they haven't been vaccinated. And a sports big problem as well, because a lot of the sports teams said, if you're not vaccinated, you're not playing. So that became a big controversy for an awful lot of like baseball players mm. who didn't, for some reason, some of them religious, didn't want to take a vaccine. Football players as well, basketball players, you know, amazing. Or it could be, you know, they've had COVID and they don't want the vaccine mm. or they want long-term safety data. Whatever their reasons, this is a country that's still bullying people to be vaccinated yeah. in some states to wear masks yeah. they're still encouraging social distancing but he has said that the pandemic is over but wait wait they have relaxed the guidelines a little mm. because now they've dropped the six foot part from the social distancing okay. so you encourage to social distance but not at the six feet which was never scientifically determined anyway Woo. so what is it now four feet three Chilled. feet they're not, they're not. They're not actually recommending. Inches. They're not recommending a particular distance. They're leaving it to you, I guess. I mean, I just got a thing from uh, the passport office saying, um, you know, please read our COVID rules. I'm like, why? Sorry, what about? I'm not going to. But anyway, there we are. Um, Laura, thank you very much indeed. I'll see you shortly for plank of the week. We're filming that this afternoon. The company of Laura Dodsworth and Will Geddes will be in. He's had a busy week as well. Um, we'll take some calls though because it's very nearly. I can't believe it's already almost one o'clock. Ian Collins will be here to tell us what's coming up on his show. Uh, we'll take your calls and we'll do much more besides. 0344-499-1000. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.